Hello and welcome to the Booktopia podcast. I'm Shanlisa Prasad, Lifestyle Books Category Manager and Crime Novel Lover, and I'm very pleased today to welcome Australian crime writer Kyle Perry to chat about his second book, The Deep. Kyle, welcome. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Um, so firstly, I just want to say congratulations. Um, I've read your book twice now. Um, I had to read it twice because I loved it the first time. I raced through it like in one sitting because I was like, I just need to know what's going on. And then I read it, I finished it. And I was like, wow, that was awesome. And then I was like, hang on a second, but how did this, and what about this? And so um, it needed a reread just to get the nuances of the the story. So thank you for writing a story that (laughs) um, made me go back and read the second time, even though my TBR pile is about a thousand books high. That is, I reckon that's one of the best compliments I've received on this book so far. So thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. Um, for everyone that is uh, listening to us here, could you give us a quick little um, elevator pitch about uh, this book and what it is about? Okay. So this book's about a lot of things, but I guess at, at the middle, this book's about a guy called Mac who is the outcast of a criminal family so he belongs to a criminal dynasty family he's the outcast where the media where the book finds him is we meet him when he's trying to reform himself so he's just finished his a stint in prison he's on strict bail conditions and he's just trying to get his life back together how the story begins is his nephew who uh, is also the heir to the criminal family washes up on the shore after being missing for seven years so the story begins with, all right, the heir to this criminal family has just shown up for seven, after seven years missing. Where's he been? What's going on? And also, what's this going to mean for the family? What's this going to make, mean for Mac? And what is this going to mean for the, the small seaside town on eastern uh, Tasmania where it's based? Excellent. And if that doesn't get everyone interested, then um, certainly the fact that your characters are called names like Mackerel and Ahab um, that and that should really just like get people excited. <laughs> well, it's <laughs> and set the scene. <laughs> it should it should? I mean, every name is pretty well thought out. But I was I saw an Instagram comment the other day. Um, someone did a review. It was a five star review for the deep, and someone commented and said, "I don't know if I could read it just based on those names. I'm not sure I could handle it." And so I replied to the comment and I said, "That's I. That's the kind of comment I would make. Like, hundred <laughs> percent here for this." See, whereas I personally look at that and I'm going, awesome, I know now that I'm going to get, like, tales of salty sea dogs, you know? <laughs> like, it really sets you up as to, like, kind of know that this is, like, these are, like, these people are deep into it. These aren't just, like, Johnny-come-latelys to, to this, like, area of Tasmania. And I think I love that you've written this book about this family who's really rooted in the place, right? They're not, you know, we see a lot of things about people that, are kind of like you know transit coming to a new area like sea changes or tree changes um but it's i think it's really interesting to kind of see um and also what i loved sorry just to completely off topic to anything else but that shack town that you really mentioned at the beginning that it's um like it's a place where people like they're happy to have tourists which is also a really great thing to see because you see so many things where it's like this insular, this insular tiny town where the people are a little bit backwards and, you know, they, they only know the other people around them and they're not really, you know, open to the out the rest of the world. Whereas, you know, you mentioned so many times in the book, like they're not that far from Hobart. So mm. they're actually really quite close to a big city, but at the same time they have this like really claustrophobic small town 
um, you know, what's going on under the surface that you don't see when everyone else just sees this beautiful seaside kind of like retreat community. Yeah. Um, and I think that was like just having that set up right from the beginning of the story to me kind of really hooked me in. Um, can I ask you how you came up with this, this idea for the book? What was your inspiration to, right. to tell the story? So the inspiration for this story, my, my background, my job, uh, especially when I was writing this book, I was a case manager and counsellor in a drug and alcohol rehab. Um, and I still work in the drug and alcohol sector, but I'm, I've stepped away from that rehab role. But the whole time I wrote this book, from the moment I started writing to the moment the final manuscript landed on my publisher's desk, I was working really like neck deep in a drug and alcohol rehab. What inspired this story was I had this really good conversation <laughs> with a guy, one of my, um, like one of the people you meet through that role. And we just had a pretty deep kind of session. We unpacked a lot of stuff. We talked a lot about his world and everything that, that led to him um, getting wrapped up in the drug game. And then at the end of it, he kind of gave me this blow by blow account about how I could start my own ice syndicate if I ever wanted to. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so, it was so interesting. Like from the very beginning about, you know, finding the, the, finding the precursor chemicals to make it and then how to, to kind of brand and market it and then how to get the right crew around you and then how to sell it and then how to launder the money. Like, like a, wow. just like a shopping list of how to start a, a drug dynasty. And I thought, how cool would it be to write a story where this information is given to the most unlikely of people? And that's where the story, the, the idea for the, the, the tension in the plot began. And then how I just landed on Mac I mean, you know, there's three point of view characters, but Max yeah. more of the heart of what goes on. Um, I landed on him for a character because I had another conversation with a guy who is uh, who Max based on, and this guy had it all. He was like an insurance broker, became a really successful drug dealer. Um, we lived in in Queensland. He he spent a whole year just living in penthouse suites, and then it all came crashing down spent some time in prison, lost all his friends and family. Now he's out of prison, but he's on really strict bail conditions. Every day he's got to sign at the police station. Um, he's got to go to the chemist every morning to get his meds because he's not allowed to have his own pain medication at home. Uh, he's got to have curfew. So that, that guy was such an interesting conversation because he was so like really intelligent, really well-spoken, had a really good story and was a great representation on how hard it is to rehabilitate, how yeah. hard it is to get back. And this, I mean, this book isn't an issues book, but I thought, man, that's such a good tension to have in a character. Let's join those two together and let's just see what happens. Absolutely. And I think you can really, you can really tell that you're um, through the writing and how you've really gone inside Mac's head. And I think when, you, when you're in his point of view, you really get this tension, his feeling of like family loyalty versus what he knows is right versus what he's good at. And it's a real shame that what he knows he's good at is something that's very illegal to yeah. do. And you can see that he has this brain where, you know, like in some, in some, like it's a lot of things that like legal businesses versus illegal businesses, the line is, you know, <laughs> quite, quite fine. And like, if he'd been grown up in another family or had been exposed to different teachers or something or other, he could have ended up in this whole other life. I think as a reader, you really see that. So it really helps you connect to him as a, as a character. I personally also loved Ahab. I thought Ahab's character, for me, out of the three story, the, the plot lines, that's the one that I connected with most. Do, do you hope that when people are reading this book that they, like, 
do you mind if they if, if like their favorite character might be different to yours or do you you know is that something you're no 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 that's awesome i want i want people to respond to connect to this book however they need to whatever whatever is the whatever lights them up about this book i hope they connect with that part i think the reason i i always kind of lead with the mac uh, being about mac is because i think that every um every story is always it's all you know, every story is always about it's about a guy who or it's about a, yeah. a girl who you know it's, it's always going to be about someone it can't just be yeah. an event um but in this book my three point of view characters they've all got different um functions for the energy of the story the dynamic of the story um so i'm really i'm really excited that that you connected with ahab because I originally he was my favorite character too because he was the moralistic character. He's the one almost the the linchpin on which everything um um is stable. And I think readers, especially in, in crime novels, especially probably probably in my novels, they need a stability, they need a strong foundation, and they need they need a point of view character. So when they see that his name at the top of the chapter, they can kind of relax and think, okay. At least I know when I read this guy, <laughs> what I see right. get. It stressed me out reading Max because I'm like, do the right thing, Mac, do the right thing. And then you're like, but I don't know what the right thing is. <laughs> so it's a stressful, it's a stressful reading thing sometimes, crime novels. <laughs> why, why did you like Ahab, can I ask? Yeah, I think, I think it's what you're saying. I think it was because I liked that he had made a decision and um, everything he did had come from... Um, or everything his actions were from a considered decisional kind decisional that's not even a word but you know what i mean kind of place um and so to me that's yeah and i and i liked that he you know he he loved his family but at the same time he wasn't willing to compromise um what he um strongly believed for family which is where mac was having all these difficulties because of you know what happened to the poor guy <laughs> um through through his life um but forest also my god those forest chapters they really take you on a journey that you are not expecting i don't want to make any spoilers to anyone because i hate spoilers and i sometimes like reading a book without without even knowing a synopsis i just like start reading okay. but, um, but my god the forest ones when everyone's when everyone reads this book and they get to that and they're like ha. I know what's going on and then you don't know what's going on and then you don't know what's going on again. And um, how hard was that to plot, to get that plot uh, plotting right? Like, was it like, yep, cool, from the beginning you knew what you were going to do and you knew where you were going to end up or did you kind of take a circuitous journey to get there? Yeah, definitely that last one. It, it, Forrest changed a lot, um, but I always knew, I mean, I knew at the start how I wanted it to end um because again his story is based on uh other stories i've heard in the rehab um but I, primarily i knew what i wanted him to make the reader feel and what i wanted his energy to do for the rest of the characters so even though i didn't know the ins and outs i just knew how i wanted the reader to, to respond to him mm -hmm. um, and i'm really i'm really conscious of giving the reader an, an experience and I really, yeah, whenever I'm crafting a character, I think, what are, what emotions does my reader want to feel? How do I let them feel that while also not giving them everything they need or everything that they want? Yeah. Yeah, well, definitely. And um, this, you've got a way with endings of books, I have to say, for both your first book, um, uh, The Bluffs, and then this book, The Deep, uh, the way that both both of them ended. The way the first book ended, I'm like, yep, yep, okay, that's, that's that book. The way this book's ended, though, um, do we think you might be returning to this world of the deep at some point? Well, well I mean, 
It depends on how much people like it, to be honest. It depends on if people, if enough people really want a sequel. Um, I'd love to write a sequel. Uh, it's when I wrote the ending, I floated the ending past a few different people. And when we're talking about the ending, we're talking about the epilogue, like, you know, that yep. final page. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, at the I, ending, I was like, I love this ending. This is great. I'm so happy. And then I read the epilogue. I was like, Oh, because <laughs> ah. <laughs> I floated that ending, that epilogue past a few people. And, um, and then some of them are like, Oh, you know, that's, are you sure you're going to leave it like that? But then the majority of the people, uh, I wrote, that's the right, yeah, it's the right uh, way. <laughs> Some people were like, um, this is great. Like we, because I'd already set up the characters, they're like, Oh, we know what's going to happen. Like we know, we know now that this is going to be fine. So (laughs) I really want to come back to it. Um, eventually I just, uh, I don't know what I like. I don't like to plan sequels because I like to know I'm really loyal to my readers. (laughs) And so I just want to do that. You know, if they really want, if there's a, you know, a big outcry for a sequel. Yeah, sure. If there's not, then I'll give everyone something else. Yeah, you can be Margaret Atwood. You can write it twenty years in the future. There's no, there's no, <laughs> there's no, you know, time frame for for this sort of thing. <laughs> Hopefully not that long, but yeah, but it's good to yeah. know. So another character that is just awesome in the book is um, Ivy, who's yeah. like the matriarch of the family, and I think um, her description, the description you give of her as like a grey-haired and round-faced. 60 something wearing a tartan dress right and so you get this and it's just as soon as you give that description at the beginning and then you read about what like what ivy is and what she does and how she rules her family it's such an incongruous uh uh image in your mind and it was she was like the guilty the guilty the guilty pleasure favorite character (laughs) she's like so terrible that you just kind of love her um she reminded me a lot of watching, I don't know if you've seen the series Justified with Timothy Oliphant, but it's set in, um, it's set in like the, um, the hills of um, uh, the Indira Jax or something. So like, oh, oh no, actually in uh, Arkansas or somewhere, you know, like poor people up in the hills doing a family that like runs the drug business up there. And they have like this mother that's that same sort of sweet apple pie grandmother looking on the outside, but the one that like is tough as nails yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. you know, makes the, you know, it's awful to everyone, um, you know, on the inside. Um, and so how, was that fun to write a character like that or? Yeah, <laughs> really fun, really fun. I, I enjoy writing those kinds of characters. Um, and what I really like doing is, is putting contradictions in characters. I love reading characters that are contradictions. It just hooks me right in. So I try to do that um, when I'm writing a character, but, for her and for a lot of the characters in this book, while there was a little bit of, of, of strategy at the start about what I want them to do, mm-hmm. they definitely took over much more in this book than they did in the bluffs. In the bluffs, it was a lot more strategic. In the deep, because I was hinging a lot of these on client experiences, um, she definitely took off. And, and by the end of it, um, like, cause she's really horrible to Mac throughout the book. And one of my, um, like, I think, I think it was my publisher. She's like, why is she hor- so horrible to Mac? Like, you, you never explained it. Um, and I was straight away just able to give an instant response because, because I'm like, well, I get her. I understand her, how her mind works. And, and I feel sorry for her. And I feel sorry for the, the, what's led her there. She's kind of in a tough situation too. And that was cool because that doesn't always happen. You don't, you don't always have an instinctual um, knowledge of what what your character does sometimes yeah. you've got to plan it out and make it overt and then I'd like later edits i made sure to draw out and you know part of that motivation is that 
you know, she's so desperate for him to be not weak that she thought this is the way to do it. She needed to teach him a lesson. But then the more you do that, the more you start to justify to yourself that this is the right behavior. And it, it just goes on and on. Um, I'm, I'm excited that you like her because, because, <laughs> because something in, in the bluffs, you know, my, my kind of, that kind of character was Madison and everyone absolutely hated Mad Madison. But in the deep, there's like some people that are like, oh, I kind of like Ivy. You know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's a terrible person, but at the same time, you kind of like, you understand her motivations. And I, I do think that that makes, that makes a big difference, whether, you know, when, as, a, as a reader, yeah, as yeah. opposed to just, you know, you know the, the love to hate character. <laughs> Um, I, I also really want to, like, we can't really talk about this book without talking about the biggest character of them all, which I think is Tasmania, really. Yeah. And um, the way you write about Tasmania is so, is so evocative and, um, and is so, it's so wonderful. And it, it really does make a difference. Um, I think having someone, you've, you've lived there, like, you're a, you're a real Tasmanian, right? Like, you were, you were born and bred. Third generation Tasmanian. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um, and so... Uh, can you talk a bit more about, you know, Tasmania and your love of Tasmania and how that, um, you know, or, or what you or what you find difficult about Tasmania and how that informs your, your writing? So I'm actually I'm actually more than three generations. I'm trying to think. We, we came with the convicts, so I've been here since. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. Quite when you came here. <laughs> um, so Tasmania, for me, I'm someone who's very connected to the natural world. But I didn't know that really until I'd written the bluffs and I had a lot of people commenting on how the landscape was used and how the landscape was. Mm -hmm. And at the start, I thought it was just people being nice, giving nice feedback. But then because it came up so often, I realized that, wow, this is definitely a theme. And I didn't, I didn't plan. I didn't intend that. And so where has that come from? When I wrote The Deep, I wanted to, to incorporate the Tasmanian seas because when you live on an island, <laughs> like the, the ocean, I've lived on the coast my whole life, um, the, the sea is just part of my lifeblood. It's just it's part of who I am. And so I wanted to explore that from the Tasmanian element. And because Tasmania, yeah, it's got the nice white beaches, but it's also really cold. <laughs> so, <laughs> what we've got that sets us apart is these stark cliffs and these, you know, wild seas and this cold, dense water and the, and the, the kelp forests. How Tasmania becomes a character is, I guess it just comes back to that, that idea that it's such a part of me that I'm not even conscious of. And so it just bleeds out onto the page, but also I try to um, like to keep the, the earthiness and the, and the groundedness of, of the natural, setting to offset some of the the more unreliable unpredictable energies of the characters because my characters it is it's constant movement in my books you know from the moment it starts there's something happening so i want the reader to have a bit of a safe harbor in terms of the setting to, to kind of ground themselves in the lushness of the description so they can they can taste it they can smell it they can be there and uh, Tasmanians, we're super patriotic about our about our island. Super super yep. patriotic about our landscape. So it's just, you know, that that, that comes out too. Yeah, um, it's just it is like the descriptions of when um, they go under, uh, like when they go diving, um, and the and the and even just the descriptions of like how you abalone dive for abalone was just was just fantastic, and it really felt like really uh, like those old sort of, you know, as we said, those sort of salty seed old tales of, you know, like 
America as well, where you have these really ingrained, um, and, and England and just those kind of stories that we've all kind of probably grown up with, um, you know, reading, just really feeling this, this like impenetrable landscape that is just there <laughs> and yeah. all the action happens around it and because of it and because of it, because like one of the, you know, we talk about a treasure here, which is an unexpected treasure. That's all I'm going to say. But, yeah. uh, that, and that I thought, oh, that was so clever. Just, I just love that, how you managed to really, in every aspect of the book, Tasmania is like, it's because of it. Like, like this book could be set somewhere else, but it really couldn't be, if that makes sense. You know, it's really of Tasmania. Um, I, one of my favourite things, and I wanted to ask you a bit about sort of who, who, who you like to read and what your influences are, is that I came across, uh, and you come across this quite early, so it's not a spoiler, but the, the, the name of a character, I was like, Dread Pirate, Dread Pirate Roberts, what? <laughs> and then a little bit later on, I'm like, so I'm like, hang on a second. I'm like, I'm sure that was just made up in, uh, in uh, everyone's favourite childhood movie, if you're of probably a similar age, um, of age of us, uh, Princess Bride. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I thought, that can't be right. It must be based on historical, you know, it must be a really serious thing because I'm reading a serious book here. <laughs> and then a few pages on, you know, you do actually reference um, the Princess Bride. So that was a, a lovely, unexpected uh, moment of levity <laughs> yeah. um, in the book. So what, what are your, uh, you know, what kind of influences have sort of, like what, what led you to do that in the book? And Look, this is an interesting story and I, and I touched on it in the book and, and I'll start with a, a quick anecdote from a, I was in a book um, event the other day and one of the questions from the audience was um, how, how many times have, you know, when was the last time you watched The Princess Bride? Um, and, I'm, and I was like, oh, I don't know, probably like early teens. Like that's a bit of a random question. <laughs> And then the person's like a little bit offended. She's like, no, it's not. It's in your book. And I thought, oh, you're right. It is. Because <laughs> the reason it's in my book is not, it's because there's a, there's an, there was an online dark web trading community called Silk Road. Yes. Which, which did drugs. Um, <laughs> and so this is real. This is real life. So the guy who, who ran that, can't, can't remember what his real name is, but he called himself the Dread Pirate Roberts because he wanted in the princess bride we know that the dread pirate roberts is a moniker it's, it's a name that passes down so no one knows if it's the same person that's right it's not actually one person it's a it's a job title really <laughs> yeah exactly exactly so in silk road he called himself dread pirate roberts because he wanted to make the the authorities think that he wasn't the same person and so i i got that idea from him not necessarily from princess bride he got gotcha. it from princess bride. see there you go <laughs> Um, yes. But see, because I looked at how old he was and he's like um, 35 and I was like, see, it's just because everyone's right around the same age. And it's just like that movie like seeps into your consciousness and you just, even if you didn't mean to like, you know, that's where you, you didn't get it from there particularly. But yeah. he obviously did. I mean, it was clever because he chose it because everyone knows it. So he, he could, he, yeah. he, it was like the perfect code because he could just say, this is this is my name, and now you know what it means without me having to tell you. It um it really does in the book though like um yeah it's it's quite it, it feels uh, it feels like oh that's that oh I can't believe that and then when you put that in there but then you when you see what what Dread Pirate Roberts in the book what their role is it's yeah it really takes it back to the <laughs> serious crime novel pretty quickly. Yeah yeah and it, it was cool too because yeah, I like that um yeah that little bit of. Oh wow! 
like this is this is happening in this world like i i, I can understand this world that's right yeah you're really putting it in the uh, grounding it in a reality uh rather than you know turns out tasmania is in another universal galaxy yeah. or something like that that's right that's right and um how was the process of writing this second book compared to the first book you know we i think a lot of authors talk about the difficulty because you know that first book you could have spent you know your whole life writing and then you get this second book where the publisher's like okay so we'll get another one from you next year right that'll be that'll be easy now that you've done this first one did yeah. you um did you have uh, some difficulties with the second one or were you like nah i've got 20 stories no worries i'll bash this one out well you're, you're so right it's the time constraint that makes it difficult so I've got, I'm very lucky in that I've always got ideas. I've got heaps of ideas. I've got heaps of good ideas, some that are maybe brilliant, some that aren't that very good, but I've always got ideas. But writing the second book, writing the deep was so difficult just because no one, me least of all, expected the bluffs to be as successful as it was. Like the bluffs, you know, it's been nominated book of the yeah. year four times. I know, know, so a lot. <laughs> no, no one, like... And then suddenly it's like, oh, you've got less than a year now to write a follow-up that's, you know, and second book syndrome is a thing anyway, let alone you've got all the, all the pressure. Um, what, what I do, did have going for me is I had a 10-year-long apprenticeship in writing where I wrote for 10 years without getting anywhere. So I had it in me just to, to do the work. Um, but it was very difficult and it also was difficult because I was working in this rehab and that, oh man, the, the most, that's the, it's the best be job, training, right? But yeah, yeah. best job I've ever had, but the, the hardest job I've ever had. Yeah. It's like at the end of the day, you know, sometimes I could, all I just want to do is crash into bed. So there was good writing it because I was able to get a bit of catharsis and explore themes. And, you know, I felt like when I was at work, um, I was still connected to my writing, but man, it was difficult. And then to make it even more difficult in the final stages of editing, because I was running behind on our schedule, I had to write about 30,000 words in two weeks. Whoa. Um, and I absolutely <laughs> cooked my arms. I got, I got carpal tunnel from it. Oh, so that, I had a, like that's a physical... crazy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I like I, I I agreed to the schedule. Like, it's not like my publisher, you know, it's not they they didn't cause me to hurt my arms. I <laughs> said, "Yep, I'll do it. I'll meet this deadline. You can trust me." And then I overestimated how much pain it would cause. Wow, um, how are you? How are you now? Are you? How are your arms going now? Well, I mean, your listeners can't see this, but I have now a six hundred dollar ergonomic keyboard. Yeah, right. <laughs> which is worth its weight in gold. <laughs> Um, that, that saved me. If I, I just use that and I'm fine. Right. I was, I was hoping you didn't have to go back to like, you know, a quill and, you know, ink or something just to, <laughs> <laughs> to you know, have to add a few months on that to your, next, <laughs> to your next book, which leads me to, um, because I love talking, I love talking to authors about, um, about crime books, particularly because I love crime books. But the problem we have with that is that we can't talk a lot about a lot of the things because, not that not you know we don't want to um you know spoil uh spoil things for the for the readers because as i said part of this book what i loved so much was all of the um the twists and turns 
and the twists where you thought there were no twists. Um, it's like it's like the best gymnastics routine, I think, this book. Um, so I really appreciated, <laughs> appreciated that. Um, but before we uh, sort of finish up, I would like to know what you can tell us about your what you're working on next. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll tell you with the knowledge that it might it probably change um, because the deep changed pretty pretty quickly from what it was originally. So how the writing process works is you write your first draft, you get that as best as you can, you send it off to you, your agent, your publisher, your editor, and then you get heaps of feedback and sometimes you have to change a lot of things. So at the moment though, my third book, it's gonna be based here in, in Tasmania. It's gonna be based somewhere. Uh, at the moment, I'm basing it on the West Coast of Tassie. We call it the Wild West. And it's about, a guy, so it's about a guy who, so it's about a bricklayer whose wife and daughter get kidnapped by a cult. Oh, okay. That's, yeah. that's a great elevator pitch. I'm loving that. I, that's awesome. I can only imagine with your mind and how you, uh, how you, how you plot your books, where that could go. I can't even, I can't <laughs> even think about that. That is terrific. Um, for uh, the listeners who can't see, there are a lot of post-it notes um, behind <laughs> Kyle's, <laughs> Kyle's head. I'm looking at right now, trying to read them. No, no. Um, <laughs> I like a surprise as much as the next person. Um, but yeah, so if that's, if that's any indication, then um, I think that uh, uh, if you enjoyed the first book, you will love the second book. And I think this third book sounds incredible. So thank you so much for giving us your uh, time today to talk about uh, The Deep. And for everyone listening, it is available as we speak um, from booktopia.com.au along with um, Kyle's first book, The Bluffs. And if uh, listening to this has made you need to read it today, they are both also available as um, audiobooks, so you don't even have to wait for the book to be delivered in the mail to you. Um, again, thanks so much, everyone, for listening. Thank you, uh, Kyle, for joining us. And um, never stop reading, guys. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces, and more. Or, if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast, and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore, at booktopia.com.au.